Oliver Dixon on SAFM. The Talking Point on SAFM. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It is 7 minutes after 10 a.m. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Uh, this is The Talking Point. And if you've just joined us, thank you so much for joining us. If you've been with us, thank you so much for staying with us. I'm with you all the way till 12. In this hour, we're going to be talking about housing justice. So I don't know if you recall, if you're listening to the show on Friday, but on the open line, I received a call from a listener who lives in the city of Cape Town. Her name is Shirley. Shirley complained about a housing matter pertaining to her situation in the city of Cape Town. She then alleged uh, of corruption having taken place and saying that she has proof thereof. Um, I then asked her to, she explained her story on the show. I then asked her to send us, um, um, to email me the proof she has. Um, And she sent through those documents for us. And we are studying those documents. We've also sent those documents to the city of Cape Town. But the city of Cape Town, in particular, uh, from the office of the MMC of uh, Housing and Human Settlements, Malusi Boy, they reached out and said they would like a right of reply. We then gave them the right of reply for 10 this morning, um, and yesterday they withdrew from that. Um, They no longer wanted to come onto the show and said that they will um, speak to Shirley or whatever the case may be, and, and, and study the Shirley and, and, and respond specifically to that. I thought it would have been a great opportunity, and so the team also thought it would be a great opportunity for us to speak about a range of housing issues in the city of Cape Town altogether because there are quite a bit to go through. Um, and to that effect, we're now without the city of Cape Town accounting for it or even answering the questions that we may have, the MMC of Housing and Numeral Settlements, uh, my Lucy Boy, was meant to come onto the show. Um, yeah, the door remains open, and we we we, we hope they'll come back and uh, have a chat with us. But that notwithstanding, it's still important that we speak about housing and housing justice in particular. There are multiple important judgments having come out of our courts, in particular as well as the Constitutional Court, around housing justice. Interestingly, one implicates the city of Cape Town and the Western Cape government. But that notwithstanding... It's important that we talk about the housing backlog and the housing crisis in South Africa. And to join me for that conversation is uh, Udi Kuma, um, Adi Kuma, my, my apologies, Udi Kuma, who is the director of Ndifunukwazi, uh, whose expertise is in social housing and urban planning. Ndifunukwazi, I don't know if, if you're not familiar with them, they're a housing movement based in the city of Cape Town, advocating for spatial redress uh, when it comes to affordable housing, um, as well as RDP housing in urban centers. I'm also joined by Tapelo Mohapi, who's the secretary general for Abatali Basem Jondolo. Um, if you're not familiar with Abatali Basem Jondolo, they're ex- they also focus on rural housing and organizing for the right uh, for fully subsidized housing uh, in KwaZulu Natal. And we're also joined by Te- Dr. Trevor Nguane, who's a director of the Center of Sociological Research and Practice at the University of Johannesburg. Um, whose research takes a look at the history of the RDP model. I'd like for you to be a part of this conversation. Uh, give us a call, 086-000-2032, 086-000-2032. We'll be also taking a WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. 
Let me welcome my guest. Uh, Tapelo, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Really do appreciate it. Dr. Nguane, I appreciate you joining us. Udi, I appreciate you coming on uh, the show as well. I want to start here, Dr. Nguane. Can you give us perhaps just an overview about the extent of South Africa's housing crisis today and historical um, and whether or not we've made any real significant progress in the last 20 years. I asked this question over a 20-year view because housing is an ongoing human rights issue. Um, housing justice is rooted in the redress of that injustice pertaining to a uh, position of our history. And so it's important then to take a long overview when redressing a historical condition. So again, have we made significant progress in housing justice over the last 20 years? And just how, what is the scale of the problem today? Uh, thank you very much for having me on your show. Well, the scale of the problem is that we have about 9 million people living in informal settlements, in shacks. So those people need houses. And then uh, the government over the past eight years has made, uh, you know, probably uh, some uh, uh, admirable attempts to address the issue, building more than a million houses. But, uh, you know, as they put it, it's a moving target because people are born every day. And then also in South Africa, as you know, we call it the RDP house because mm. it was part of the reconstruction and development program. So this was a, a a more or less pro-poor economic policy, which was adopted by President Nelson Mandela in 1994 and the ANC government. But in 1996, they moved away from RDP, scrapped mm. it, to gear a more pro-poor, trickle-down model. So that tremendously slowed down you know, the building of houses, because at first, uh, the target was that 5% of the budget uh, overall budget must spend on housing, but that figure was never reached. And then, most importantly, the orientation was more towards sorry, five percent uh, of what budget of the housing and other services rather than public. Mm. So that's that's why we haven't made a great uh, you know uh, success of housing. Uh, a, a final uh, sorry, five percent of what budget are you talking about? Five percent of the overall fiscal budget. Overall budget, yes. All right. Of the country. The tar- It never reached a target. How far did it get? What's the most in any single financial year that we've spent on housing? Uh, I don't know. Less than two percent. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. My goodness. Yeah. So, yeah. has any? Because Nelson Mandela became president, and within his term of office, promised a million houses. Tabombeki became president, and within his two terms of office, uh, President uh, Tabombeki each term promised a million houses. President Zuma became president, and within his two terms, at least at the start of each of those two terms, promised a million houses. President Ramaphosa became president, and very specifically to the people of Alex alone, promised a million houses. At every election turn, there's a promise of a million houses. Has the ANC, or it has the government in particular, within any term window for five years, built a million houses? If not, what's the most we've seen in a single five-year term? I think the Mandela era was was a better era, yeah, because it laid the basis for, I think within 10 years, a million houses had been built. Within 10 years? Yeah, yeah. So 
So, but after that, it started to slow down because, as I said, the orientation was different now. So it was a tender system, corruption, and also there was a preference for, you know, private approaches, private solutions. Mm. So that uh, severely uh, reduced uh, the number of houses built. Yeah. In any mm. case, the tender system created a new problem where poor quality houses were being built, houses far from the city center, uh, and also, you know, far from uh, job opportunities to the extent that some people sometimes even moved back to the informal settlement, which was closer to town than where yeah. they were condemned very far from town. Yeah. Dr. Ngwane, these million houses in the first 10 years, do you, or just generally, the, the amount of public housing that has been made available, uh, newly built public housing, do you know where, by and large, it has been built? Has it been in informal settlement? Has it been in township? Has it been in rural South Africa? Has it been in urban South Africa? Uh, it's been in urban South Africa, but like I said, it tended to, be, it tended to follow apartheid geography away from the city center, okay? And over time, the, the, the quality started to go down drastically. But some houses have been built in, in peri-urban areas, also in some rural towns, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uri, I want to introduce you into the conversation here. Where, where have we been getting it wrong in terms of the slowing down of social housing, newly built social housing, uh, over the last, let's say, 20 years in South Africa? Um, is it we haven't spent enough money or did we spend enough money? We just didn't spend it right. Is it because housing contractors have just left projects abandoned and stole the money? What, what, what's what been going wrong? Firstly, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, so, I mean, I think you asked a very important question earlier, which is if every presidential cycle has produced a million houses, why are there still 9 to 11 million people living in without adequate shelter or in poor housing conditions? I think that is a profound question. But why is the housing program not having this, the impact that it's intended to have, which is get people out of informal settlements and into proper housing? I think the other parallel fact that runs with this is the fact that informal settlements between 1994 and you know 2020 have grown about 1,000% from like 300 informal settlements to about... 2,700 informal settlements. That exponential growth is frightening because at the same time that government is plowing in 5% of its national fiscals, they're also seeing an exponential growth in informal settlements all across the country, particularly in urban areas. So part of the problem here really lies with with two aspects. One is that the, the housing program, it's not about the resources that is causing the housing crisis. It's about the manner in which the housing is being produced. And I think the, the National Department has known about this. What, what does that mean when you say the manner in which na- uh, social housing has been produced? So, for instance, like the, the, the housing program has been quite distorted. So housing cannot be built without land. And unfortunately, a lot of the land on which the RDP and BNG type of housing has been built has been in historical township areas and in very urban areas, which is you know anywhere between 30 to 40 kilometers from city centers. So most of the people who get into these houses have to spend you know 40, 50 percent of their income just commuting to economic opportunities. Mm. Well-located land, which is in the city center, has has hardly ever been used for any kind of affordable housing and social housing wow. uh, in any of the metros. 
and this is the this is the core issue that's driving the housing issues because at this moment even with the electricity crisis and the water crisis that the country faces we need density we need density we need people to live in the mm. inner city especially people who commute a lot uh, so that they they don't have to carry the burden of the transport costs of the high cost of living in the country so that land in the inner cities in none of the metros have been released for for adequate amount of social housing and so, this is what we're having yeah Is there enough so land available in 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 city centers? There is a sufficient amount of land available. It's just that the land has not been has been used and and in many instances land has mm. either been sold or leased uh, to the private market. Mm. Mm. Give us a call 0860002032 I'd love to hear your views and your comments on this conversation. We're going to take a quick break on the other side of this we continue. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. Good morning to you, Oliver. Thank you for bringing up a very crucial topic in uh, housing, uh, especially in the Western Cape. I wonder why the uh, Department of Housing in the Western Cape chooses to not discuss this matter uh, openly and transparently, so that the public can know what is happening there. Thank you, Frank Maritzburg. Thank you so much for that. Really, really do appreciate it. Uh, Tapila, I want to bring you into the conversation here. Typically, when we speak about housing and the housing crisis, we're speaking about housing for poor people, people who can't afford to buy their own houses. And other interventions have been introduced, like subsidized, partially subsidized housing, fully subs- or to some small degree fully subsidized housing. But the real question really is, are we solving for housing or are we solving for poverty what should be the approach uh, thank you very much uh, for the opportunity and good morning to the viewers um the crisis um, in this country in as far as housing is concerned lies in the manner in which government responds to to the crisis itself Uh, one of the things is that uh, in, when you live in the informal settlement, government tends to think that they are doing people a favor. Um, you got a house, and therefore you must live in it. Doesn't matter where it's located. Um, the doctor said uh, some of the people would move away from those houses and then move back to the cities. And when you look at the informal settlements, they are tra- strategically built. They are either along the railway line, next to transport, next to companies, firms, and so on, where people seek better opportunities. And what the challenge that we are having is that um, the government is doing planning uh, about things that are going to affect, that are affecting the people without the people themselves, and they end up relocating people to other places. And people come back and build informal settlements because those informal settlements were close to economic hub, and that's why people lived there. Um, and and if you are not, if you are if you are going to discuss uh, issues of human settlement in this country without involving the people who are living in informal settlement those who are affected those who are in need of housing and you assume that because they live in informal settlement they cannot think for themselves and they cannot come up with proper uh, you know uh, strategies on how to deal with the issues that they are facing themselves and you come and impose on them we we'll still continue to have the crisis that we are facing in this country That's a very interesting observation that you make there. Uh, Dr. Ngwane, I want to bring you back in here and, and ask you this. What drives the creation of 
uh, informal set well what directs where people set up informal settlements? We know what drives it is that the lack of housing. But it's Tapelo makes an interesting observation that oftentimes where you find informal settlements are close to uh, uh, railway lines, for instance, uh, where where people within that informal settlement can access a train, for instance, to get to work and that sort of thing. Um, do we have enough data that suggests um, that that can help us understand the behavior around where and how and when informal settlements come about? Exactly what Comrade Chapello is suggesting. Remember, under apartheid, there was something called apartheid geograph, the Group Areas Act. So black areas uh, were located far from the city center because the city center or the town center was viewed as belonging to white people. And then the black people were further subdivided into Indian and colored. So, uh, you know, a bit, a bit away from the city center, then you have Indian people, a bit away, then you have colored people, and then much further, you have African people. So, informal settlements tend to gravitate closer to railways, closer to transport, closer to the city center where jobs are available. Can you see? Because now, if you live far out, 40 kilometers, 30 kilometers, Think of a place like Orange Farm, you know, you spend 40 rand on a single trip from Orange Farm to Johannesburg. So it's much better if you build your house, uh, your shack, maybe in Hebrew or somewhere yeah. close by. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I want to, Udi, I, I want to come back to you here and I want to maybe speak to us for, for the next couple of minutes about what spatial justice really, really looks like. Um, and whether we have the requisite policies and legislature to achieve spatial justice and how our housing justice approach fits into that. So, according to us, definitely the issue of spatial justice is the core of, of the constitution of the country. Uh, exactly what the professor said right now, that uh, the issue of, of apartheid in the colonial history of the country separated people along the Group Areas Act, and, and the spatial justice aspect is, is fundamentally important to, to bringing people that were historically disenfranchised or put on the periphery to be brought back into, into you know, economic centers and so on. So spatial justice is the core of the, core of the issue, and spatial justice is very well integrated into all kinds of laws including the, the planning laws, which speaks to the Spatial Planning and Land Use Management Act, which basically says that spatial justice is one of the things that any developer, not just public development, even private developments, should be subject to responding to what, what apartheid's legacy is and responding to spatial equality. So in that sense, our housing program isn't just about, about providing adequate shelter. It is also about providing spatial justice yeah. to the people that were historically disadvantaged. Yeah, and, and and then that also then speaks to the allocation of land, right? The city of Cape Town um, allocated land um, to a private developer. The court turned um, turned that around. They wanted to build a private school on the land. I think the court turned that around and said, no, this has to be used for social housing. Um, and if there aren't social housing programs for it, other social programs should be considered before private development can be considered uh, for private use. Um, that was an important court judgment. Did we see that court judgment permeate uh, throughout our state, uh, I guess, system as far as housing and land allocation is concerned? 
I think that uh, so that the provincial piece of land that was that was going to be sold to the school, the Tafelberg land, uh, the High Court did rule in that matter that the that the sale of the land was unlawful and that the the province and the city must uh, must consider the land first for for social and public use. And I think that message has has rung through in many different municipalities and many different uh, many different metros in the country, where people are now, especially government officials, are now thinking very differently about the issue of land. Obviously, it hasn't necessarily translated into into significant delivery and action yet. But I do believe that the attitude towards towards land and how land should be disposed, how land should be used for public yeah. use, uh, has has made a dent. We don't have a complete land audit in South Africa, do we? We don't have a complete land audit. In fact, we've, we've, we've requested the city of Cape Town, Cape Town to make uh, you know public land records available to the public so that we can have a sense of how much land is there. Because often you will know, like even in the city of Johannesburg uh, and in, in Durban, people will say, you know, there isn't enough land to build housing for the people. And then you say, well, how much land is there? And if you don't have proper land audits and land records, then it's virtually impossible to to determine that. Yeah, absolutely. Give us a call. The number is 86 2032 Tweet me. It is at Oliver underscore speaking. We're going to pause there. It is half past 10. We're going to take your headlines with Ayan Musa. Good morning, Oliver. Um, I think you're missing a point here about the politicization of housing. Uh, I think it's in most unstable governments, uh, it's a method of keeping people in subjugation. So they're not interfering with the politics of the country. They subjugated in survival uh, methods and instincts to protect themselves. So it's a political tool used to keep people in subjugation so that they're forever dependent on those promises at election time. Uh, just a point. I'm not sure if you'd like it. Interesting point, though. Interesting point. But I, I look, I don't think it's a pacifying of voters. I, I do think that there's a genuine consensus that we have a housing crisis in South Africa. 9 to 11 million people without houses. We have a problem to solve. We really, really, really do. So I don't think that there's a complete absence of political will. Look, I may be wrong. That's just my opinion. I may be wrong. It may well be the case that there is no political will to solve that problem. Let's go to the lines. Give us a call. 86 in Maikeng, Mboana, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm yeah. Well, yeah, I'm well, man. Go ahead. Yeah, if people are still staying in the shacks because of that no piece of land to build their houses, mm. are we conflicting from the chapter 26 of our constitution? What does tw- chapter, chapter 26 of the constitution say? It's saying everyone has the right to access to adequate housing. Mm. Yeah, so if the people are living in the sharks, it means their rights are being infringed. Mm. Look, I, I think it is. Yeah, because if we go back to 2017, SIU found out that it was land corruption, about 56 farms. Mm, mm. 2017, we are now 2023, nothing happened. Yeah. No, interesting point. You, yeah, if you check the parliamentarians, everyone there got farms. But people got no place to build house. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for that. Dr. Ngwane, uh, interesting point that uh, Mboana makes there, right? If the constitution gives you a positive right to 
the rights to uh, to housing and you don't have a house, can you sue the state? <laughs> yeah, in theory you can, you know. Um, so, <clears throat> and, and I think uh, we've seen people take the government to court. For example, there was a great case, the court one case uh, about 10, 15 years ago where, you know, the government was directed by the court to build houses and the organizations like the Social Economic Rights Institute, which uh, uses constitutional arguments to defend people from eviction and often also to force government to speed up housing programs. So yes, you can. But of course, you know, uh, litigation takes uh, uh, money and it takes time. And in the case of court warm, uh, the poor uh, mom died before the housing project yeah. was actually instituted. Yeah. Yeah. Tapelo, you guys are in court often as Abatlali Basem Jondol. Um, is there constitutional grounds to be able to take government to court for the failure to provide adequate housing, whether it be national, provincial, or even local government? Well, um, first and foremost, often in Guazul Natal, uh, the politicians will tell us uh, that you can win in court, but we we are not told by court how to govern. Um, To such an extent that even if you have an interdict, for instance, that prevents evictions from taking place, or any court that holds a government to account um, to to, to be implemented, uh, you will find that those do not happen. Um, and 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 nothing happens thereafter. So you can have a judgment with you that says that enforces uh, accountability or enforces government to to interdict them against evicting people. But um, uh, the ANC-led government will tell you that well, we 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 will not be told by courts how to govern, uh, which is something very strange that has been said in Guazul Natal. But I wanted to highlight what what the previous uh, caller had said in the message that. Um, we as poor, uh, particularly those who are living in shacks, are seen as banks for votes. Um, the politicians are yeah. only coming to us whenever um, the time for voting comes. Um, and they pretend as if they don't know the conditions that we are living under, uh, the inhuman conditions, that we don't have basic services, that they don't have access to water, that people uh, are robbed, raped while going to relieve themselves when Mother Nature calls. Mm. And that's the only time politicians knows, know us, that we exist in this country. So um, as Shack dwellers, we feel that we count for nothing. We are just uh, a bank for votes whenever uh, people want to be in power, but in, in actually delivering that. And we feel that um, the reason why housing will always be a crisis is that the government does it deliberately to leave a void so that they can come back and make these promises. We are going to build new houses. We are going to, as we have said, million houses were promised every every time. But these are uh, just left there for people to actually continue to make these promises so that we vote for them for that uh, time so that we have hope that they are going to build more houses for us uh, and that that never materialized. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Nwane, there's a new terminology that is being used in government. It's not so new, but it's relatively new in, in the greater scheme of things. When government now talks of housing opportunities, is that what does that mean, firstly? Because I know it means that the house is not there. Um, and is that an adequate tool to help solve the housing backlog? 
Okay, that's a very interesting question. Yeah, so the government is moving the goalposts now. Instead of building houses, it says it's just going to provide you with a piece of land. If you are lucky, to provide infrastructure, you know, depending on that particular housing project. Sometimes not. Look, uh, because of the level of desperation, you know, uh, many people will take... uh, advantage of this and move on to the land, uh, put up a shack, uh, and at least they won't be under threat of being forcibly evicted, removed from that space. But uh, it is uh, a question of the government, uh, you know, moving the goalposts and reducing its responsibility. Uh, I think the key to assessing housing opportunities goes back to what the Abashalafin John Dolokomrate was saying, which is involving the people. So if you involve the people, discuss with them, how best can government help you in this respect, you could come up with a solution which looks like housing opportunity in the sense that people say, we want that piece of land, we want you to install sewer, water, electricity, you know, we will do the housing ourselves. Or people will say, we prefer to have the top structure, and that, you know, so so that can work in that way. But if it's top down, then it can be seen as oppression and actually appropriating responsibility. Tapelo, do people welcome housing opportunity projects where a government provides perhaps the um, commun- communal infrastructure such as uh, a sewer system, electrification, roads, uh, and sanitation? Uh, while you and and the land to, to 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 people and they just build their own house, do people welcome those initiatives and interventions? Um, well, um, I mean, because government has failed to actually deliver housing for people. Uh, people are now saying that if government can provide service stands uh, so that we have uh, access to to these uh, services. Um, because the issue uh, at, at, at this point in time is that many of the informal settlements do not have uh, uh, access to services. Um, that's why you have Operation Fagamans, Operation Kanyisa and others, because government itself has failed to do these things. Um, all people are saying now is that provide us with the land so that we can build ourselves. Uh, it, it, you, you provide what is called incremental upgrading. Uh, and the people on the ground, actually, in the, in the informal settlement, we have plumbers. These are the people who yeah. are the working class who always build these houses that you see in Sentinel everywhere else. And these people can build their own houses if government does provide access to land and not continuously evict people like they are doing. I mean, government says there's no peace, there are no land, there's no land in the in the cities, in the urban areas, and yet people are evicted in numbers in the informal settlements. So we wonder which, why are you evicting people on, on land when you say there's no access to land, when people are actually occupying land mm. for survival and building their homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us a call, 86 Let's go to the lines. VJ in KZN. VJ, good morning. Hi, Oliver. I'm well, I'm well, Vijay. Go ahead. Okay, Oliver, for, for me, you know, uh, right from the onset of democracy in 94, the biggest missing link for me in the whole housing conundrum uh, for the nation is the fact that there has not been any oh, enough focus on medium and high-density housing. So what's happened is the government has held out this promise to everybody that they'll get their own piece of land and... and well, in fact, get an entire house on a freestanding piece of land. 
But if you look at what Malaysia and Singapore and a lot of other developing countries have done, is they've created high-density housing stock for for people as they as they progress through life. Uh, they come into into good quality, high-density housing stock, and then they move out into their own houses as they become more prosperous, etc. We haven't done that, uh, and I think that is where the major major problem is that uh, everybody in the country who is in need of a house uh, is basically envisioning a, a piece of land with their own house on, with a garden and whatever, and, and we, will, we will never, ever sort the housing problem out in this country if we don't actually address that. Thanks, Oliver. Thank you so much, Vijay. Really, really appreciate your call. Thank you so much for that. Let's have a listen at some of your WhatsApp voice notes. Hi, Oliver and listeners. Maria April. If the doctor can maybe address the issue of uh, service land, for young people or people that can afford to buy land and build their own houses, they also need to be addressed because there's a short, shortage of land, service land available, especially in my area, Namakola and Springbok, and I'm sure other areas as well. People can't, it's not easily accessible. So please, Doc, must touch that as well. The other one is the issue of spatial planning. Um, I think that law can easily be manipulated so much so that most of the buildings in ground or are we buying by rich people for businesses because the municipality believes strongly in earning tax which is not something wrong but in that endowment they left people out in terms of that process thank you thanks maria william in cape town william good morning hello good morning um oliver you know i have a problem with this uh you know, the DA actually shoot himself in the foot, you know, about in Cape Town, the only section in Cape Town in the peninsula, the only section alongside the coast. It's like black people and colored people don't deserve the beauty of our country. They, there's no development. They call it now of hut. An animal that doesn't even exist in South Africa evolved, you know, a wolf. Mm. And they make it a nature reserve. How can you give 98% of the land to nature and you give 2%, why don't they evenly balance it? There's a lot of land in Stanfontein, in Mitchell's Plain, alongside, in between our houses. There's a lot of land that belongs to the government. Mm. But they don't just don't give people land. And other people from Eastern Cape Town come and they squat alongside Baden Powell. That's why I say the DA, they shoot themselves in the foot and there's a lot of sex now from Kailitsa going right onto the ocean. I don't say South Africa belongs to everyone that lives in it. I don't say that people from Eastern Cape must come here. Don't misunderstand me because you're all South Africans. But the politics, just no political will for people, uh, for, 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 this, uh, for, for the, the political parties to give the land to people mm. because mm. we need houses. Yeah. We really need houses. Our people are struggling. Black and colored, we are struggling with houses. And the government, everything takes so long. But if you see how we miss the money, steal the money, then it's mm. another case, you know? Yeah. Thank you. William, thanks a lot for that, man. That's one of the questions yeah. I would have put to the MMC of Human Settlements from the city of Cape Town if they joined us. But unfortunately, they did an interesting point that uh, William raises there. I mean, people building houses that lead into the ocean. That sounds like a disaster. And we've seen that disaster play out. KwaZulu-Natal is one such example. Uh, Tapelo, 
when the floods happened, it's almost a year now since the floods happened, people were put into alternative structures. Uh, in KwaZulu-Natal, people were put into community halls and even schools. Emergency funds were made available uh, for houses to be built, emergency houses. We don't know. We're not on the ground, so we don't know what progress has been made. But you are on the ground as Abatlali Basem Jondola in KZN. How much progress have you seen in response to the disaster and the funds that were made available, the emergency funds that were made available there too? Well, well, all I can say is that uh, people um, are still in uh, community halls. Um, even if um, they are not in community halls, they are not in permanent uh, residence. Some of them are have been living in the um, school residency and when the schools opened they had to be taken somewhere else so there is no direct um, decision that has been made with regards to that um i mean tomorrow we are meeting the mec uh, for human settlements um, to discuss uh, the, the developments and what's going to happen because uh, we have people coming to our offices uh, because people are not informed as to what's uh, going to happen to their future, uh, where they're going to live. Uh, sometimes they are chased out in reserve hills from the residency because the province did not pay rent for that particular month. Um, the the temporary housing that was sub that are being built are at a slow pace. Um, uh, many not many people have been uh, allocated and of course um, um i mean there's new evidence that some of the money that was meant for that has been used for operations in the municipality uh, and so forth so there, there's there's a lot that has uh, that is happening and corruption is at the center of these things yeah. at, at some point and the unfortunate part is that people continue to not know where they're going to live some people are given material to go to go and build where um they their their houses were washed away so in the flood um prone places some had to go back because there was no direction as to what's going to happen to them so it's unfortunate that a year later uh, mm. we are still um you know trying to figure out uh, mm. how people are going to be living um so th th this is that the, the crisis that we are facing at the moment that we are willing to raise with uh, the provincial government um to 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 happen but uh, at, at some point we have realized that there's some conflict between the provincial government uh, and and the municipality itself uh, uh, yeah you know political inside i mean you know that he, um the previous minister was actually having plans to actually deal with the floods and then there was a congress of the anc that took place and then there was a new mec appointed and the mec now is starting all over with his new plans all that uh, prolonged the process yeah. of people's uh, get, getting uh, these temporary housing in the meantime absolutely uh, but is there any like head count of how many people have been able to be placed in permanent structures since the floods have happened um, even if it's like 10 people, is there a count of that happening anywhere? And and is it, is it being reported either by the provincial government or by the city? 
Yes, um, there's the, the, that is exactly what we are going to put on the new minister, Mr. Ma- I mean the MEC, um, Mr. Masaba, tomorrow. Um, but um, the the province as, uh, says it's along the the the, the seven thousand uh, mark. Um, we dispute that. We don't think it's it's that far because we are seeing a lot of people flooding our offices, mm. um, complaining about uh, the state where they are living. You know, they are putting these residency. Sometimes a family of five will occupy one room, house, uh, the beds, the dignity of women who have to change uh, themselves while they are living with kids and other families and so forth. So um, that is a concern that we are having that we want to raise uh, when we are meeting uh, the the, the MEC in the province tomorrow. Yeah. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. We'd love to hear from you. 086-000-2032. It's 10 minutes before 11 o'clock. Let's take a quick break. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. Let's have a listen at this WhatsApp voice note. Uh, greetings, Oliver and uh, listeners. Uh, Oliver, my question to the doctor is that what is his view regarding the land being owned by the state but making it, making it available to the people as they need it? Uh, the reason for this question is if people are to buy outright it means those without money currently will be left out and land will only be available to those with money and this issue that land that is being issued out cannot be developed by banks it's a lie because we've got a waterfall lease agreement as an example that banks can fund land that is leased out thank you that's a very very interesting question there uh dr Ngwane, do you want to respond to that yeah, well, apartheid, uh, even colonialism, was a form of racial capitalism. So, you know, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and it's worse for black people, African, colored, Indian. So I agree with the, with the caller. You know, the way to solve this problem, we need a massive redistribution of wealth. So the wealth includes uh, land, housing, services. And this cannot happen if it depends on how much money is got in your pocket because, you know, under racial capitalism, black people were impoverished. So, yes, we need a government, a state, which will take over land and then give it to the people, not based on profit, but based on meeting their needs. This is very, very important. Yeah. When it comes, just one more question I want to ask you when it comes to, to, to land, because that question starts with the position of will land be better used in the hands of the state? Should there be wholesale land expropriation without compensation and the state becomes the custodian of the land? Do you suspect or predict that we might see a better use of land for social uh, good? Yeah, we, we need that. You know, what happened in Zimbabwe is that the government they didn't do that until people until there was a crisis, and then they do it without a proper plan. Yeah. So we need to sit down and plan how we're going to get most of the land away from private investors, so-called 
white farmers, uh, you know, investors who are seeking overseas, not doing anything with the land, and get it back into the state. And then it's used, you know, to meet the needs of the people. At the moment, you know, profit, private property, you know, is, is the priority, not the needs of the ordinary people. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to the lines. Matlamini, Matlamini, good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you, all the and the gentlemen. Unfortunately, I just caught this at the at the end, mm. uh, 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 so I, I didn't hear much. But I heard about the people being evicted. I'm unable to expose much, OD, but I'd love SAFM and you, OD, and whoever to follow our case because in in our case, I decided that the best thing is for us to go to court so that we expose the corruption and the lies because these people are in these positions and then they make all these promises but these promises are so empty and they lie and they use power and all this i would like you to take my number in a few safm and 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 follow what i'm going to give you information tangible information that mm. i'm going to give you and protect me because i felt that the only protection we'll get is to the courts mm. and do i have so can i can i just ask you in, briefly in a minute can you tell us what the case is about Oh, I'm very much afraid to even. Okay. Uh, they are very much afraid because they are going to make a follow-up. Within even your organization, there are people who are working for these people who are being paid, and then they give out information. That is why I'm saying the only time I will be able to is to go to court. But do I want the, the, the do I want the court the 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 the, 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 the normal court uh, the whereby when you don't have money and then you are given you know, I want an attorney that is prepared, is not afraid of, of, of the leadership. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, so, Matamini. My, 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 no, my question, OD, is how are you going to protect those people like myself? Uh, look, I want dude, you please to promise me right now as I'm talking to you, how are you going to protect us? Because we are very poor. We don't have the yeah. money. Those people are sitting there enjoying the taxes that we pay. Mm. Look, I, I mean, well, I don't know what your going... yeah, I don't know what your case is, right? I'd have to know what your case is to be able to answer that question. That's why I'm going to put you back but to my producer so that so that I give you yes. those cases, Goldie. Yes, thank you so much. I'm putting you back to my producers uh, no. to share that with. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. Uh, just as we come to the end of this, uh, I, I want to perhaps ask you this question, uh, Tapelo. As far as social housing is concerned, uh, some progress has been made. Um, a lot of missed opportunities along the way and disasters to deal with and a lot of mismanagement and even theft have been happening along the way. Should housing remain the prerogative of the national government or should housing, housing decisions and housing projects be decentralized away from the national government and let communities make their own decisions there too uh, and resources just be made available uh, based on those decisions? Yes, no, thank you once again. Um, I think um, in, in, in Abashali, we believe that the people 
uh, is involvement. We don't want to be recipients, passive recipients of the housing projects that are taking place. We want to be part of it. We want to be the initiators. We want to be part of the negotiations, how my house is going to be built. So that's, that's where the dignity comes in um, when we speak about dignity and giving poor people dignity is when you involve people in their own development, let them be the stewards of their development. And that's the crisis that we are having in this country. And I think it must be community-driven. Uh, community must be given the voice and the community must, and we must be given uh, the opportunity to state what kind yeah. of housing that is, is taking place. I mean, if you look at in in, 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 in the Etiwini municipality right now, the, the Konopia pro- project is halted and stopped. You are supposed to provide about 10,000 housing, but um, we have only 3,000. And we were told that it is not the case of the budget, but it is a case of the procurement. Um, People in the municipality are now indecisive as to who should be getting the tenders and so forth. And and that is uh, because people who are supposed to be beneficiaries of those houses are not a part of the discussions that are taking place, and 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 people are uh, things are imposed on the people. So we are therefore calling on the meaningful engagement with the people that on the ground, the people who are going to be the best. The, yeah. the beneficiaries, so that we do not want to be passive recipients of these houses. It feels good when you are part of building a house yourself that is going to benefit you, your family one day. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Really, really do appreciate it. Tapila Mohapi, the Secretary General of Abatalibasem Sem John Dolo, as well as Dr. Trevor Nguyen, Director of the Center for Sociological Research and Practice at the University of Johannesburg. And thank you much for our earlier guest as well, Udi Kuma, who is the director of Indifunukwazi, uh, who's also involved in social housing and just uh, and housing justice in South Africa. It's a minute after eleven o'clock, and Musa has your news.